Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Wednesdays with Wombat with your host, Toby McKinnon. Welcome back. It is Trot's Life on your Wednesday. And I have fed him and made a cup of tea here. And we're going to sit. I'm going to have this cup of tea. So if you hear any swallowing in this next segment, it's all for effect. Because we're going to sit around the kitchen table at the Mullen household. Have a great old chat with Danny Mullen. Danny, firstly, mate, how are you? And I assume you're at home there. And I am, actually, and I'm having a cup of coffee. So I made it. When I heard you mention about making a cup, I thought, well, I better, I better have one myself. You so better, there you are. Yeah. Oh, that's, well, that is terrific. Now, let's, I want to go right back to the start. And when I say the start, I mean the start. Where were you born? Well, it's um, my wife and I are immigrant kids. We're uh, Anna's from Poland and I'm from Ireland, and we um, came to the western suburbs, so we both grew up in St Albans. And uh, um, my uh, my early days, I had nothing to do with uh, harness racing, so I did like to ride horses at our local um, riding school, and I would help them out and get free rides. So uh, I always had a love of horses. My dad took me to a couple of um, um, shows in, in Ireland, like, they had um, fairs and things like that where you've probably seen the really old times when the, the Irishmen do um, a bit of a deal. They spit on the hand and stub each other's hands and the ponies and the carts would go around. And, of course, in Ireland, mm. the gypsies love the coloured horses and yeah. they actually race them on the road. If you've never seen yeah, it, I've seen I just it. suggest you get on YouTube and, yeah. and have a look. So that's, <laughs> that's where it all started back then. And uh, from riding, I my wife and I were... Um, keen goers of the showgrounds when other people would be going to the, the drive-in we'd be down at the showgrounds having five shillings on macaroni or something coming four deep on the on the um, on the cheap section of the showgrounds and I said to her one night I reckon I can do this and she said what do you mean I said look I can ride and I can do this so I made my way to George Gatt uh, the legend yeah, in Deer yeah, Park yeah. and uh, he taught me how to rig them up and um, let me have fast drives and George used to call them about he said, we're going to have a bout. And it really is really old time. There's not many young people would ever hear doing fast work referred to as a bout. Yeah, like a boxing bout. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, and to his credit, um, uh, he uh, he never made me clean a box. He, he, he helped me make the feeds. And he was very short sometimes. If you weren't harnessing him up quick enough, old George would move you aside and show you how to do it. But uh, yeah. they were brilliant days. And, of course, Neville and um, and Brian were young men down at that, at that stage. Um, so that's where that's where I sort of first got off. And from there I went. I had fallen in love with the horse that Bill Davies used to race at the showgrounds called Future Intangible. And uh, yeah. I did try to buy I did try to buy a mare and it didn't happen. So um, in the early stages, I'd seen a, a colt advertised by Future Intangible at Strathfield, say. Intangible uh, So I went up the, Yeah, I went up there, and uh, 
the old fellow, I can't actually recall his name, it's terrible, isn't it? But he uh, he whistled, and out of the top corner in a box, this lovely chestnut colt came flying down. And, of course, it was just like Walt Disney, and I fell in love with it. And <laughs> we took it home, um, broke it in, and old George Young, who's the father of Robert Young, who's um, prevalent around the Bacchus Mask Club. Oh, yeah. Um, he used to keep the horse up there for me, and I would travel up from the suburbs and, and work him, and... Uh, I did my trial licence at Bacchus Marsh in those days. I think the horse was such a brilliant standing start horse. I won about five or six of the ten drives and thought I was extra special at those days. But um, And I made some lifelong acquaintances in those early days at the uh, the Bacchus Marsh trials that um, uh, I still um, I enjoy some of those people around me today. Yeah, that's, uh, that's how it all started. And I think you said, well, you know, what was the first horse? Well, he was the first horse that I really got involved with and yeah. my first ever winner at Wedderburn in about 1976 and I would have been 30, so I was a late starter. And uh, my wife had travelled with the kids and she was running around hitting them all in the head with a race book saying, we've won, we've won. You would have thought we'd won the Inter Dominion and we'd won a three-year-old <laughs> at Wedderburn. Yeah, um, yeah. But it was, it was a good day, yeah. Your first winner's... Always special. So, so nineteen, so nineteen seventies. I can imagine yep. Bacchus Marsh, you standing on a hill as a as a as a thirty something year old man, and there's a very young Gavin Lang, Chris Lang. There's a Ginger Gleeson who's probably a bit more your well, age. Yeah, I've got I've got a great story about Gavin because I told you I grew up in St Albans and yeah. I, I played a lot of Gaelic football, which is the yeah, Irish yeah. game yeah, yeah. and, and fortunate enough to win four premierships. Used to call it the Dr Mannix Cup and I played football at St Albans and lucky enough to be around in 66 and 69 when they'd won two premierships. But yeah. in the mid-70s, when we decided to get into harness racing, I bought a property up in Toulon Vale and built a home on it in stables and uh, uh, just close by the property was the McPherson Park, which is today's large multi-sporting complex. And standing over the boundary, just watching the locals, um, I'd retired at that stage, uh, a fellow called Ian Jones, who uh, uh, follows the trots uh, brilliantly, and actually was a good mate of Gavin through the years, um, said to me, hey, you better come and play. Anyway, they convinced me, and I went down and spent a couple of years. And one, uh, one of the two years, they dropped a few players back because we'd... Uh, not going to make the first, and uh, we wanted to win a premiership, so we won the 1976 premiership, and on the halfback plank uh, in that team was Gavin Lang, a raw-boned teenager, um, probably about 17, and this old fellow here, probably in his early 30s at the time, and we won a flag We won a flag together, Gavin and I, in 1976 at Melton, yeah, in football. Wait. So that's when I first met Gavin, before he was ever... Doing the driving and the great uh, feats that, of course, he went on to uh, to achieve. Yeah. So were you were you a uh, Kevin Sheedy back pocket, or were you a Kevin yeah, Bartlett well, forward pocket, or were you a Lee Matthews? Well, I, I was a I was a Rover wingman. Um, <laughs> yeah. When uh, when I was over the career at the time, they played me in the back pocket in the Premiership side up there, and I felt sorry for the poor young Rovers. They're probably kids of about eighteen <laughs> or nineteen, and this old bugger. Everywhere they went, I was sort of anticipating where they went. So I did have a good game, but it was more the fact that I'd played that place for about 14 years and this poor kid was unlucky enough to line up on me. So uh, <laughs> but it was a great great time with Gavin and uh, that's uh, when we first started. And actually, it's funny you should be wanting to talk about Victory Phil because Gavin had a, a slight part in that. Yeah, um, yeah. We'll yeah, get you, when you When you're... 
when you're saying about buying the horse, well, yeah. um, I. I have always been prepared to go and have you know put my hand in my pocket and not very high price mind you but um, buy a horse um, from local or interstate or whatever and you know my first good metropolitan winner was a horse called Kimusabi and I went to stall and bought him out of the trotting weekly from lovely people called Gurkovichs um, and um, and he was lucky enough to give me some great thrills um, placing at the showgrounds winning at the valley so. For a Western suburban self-taught kid, those were very, um, very heady days, and uh, um, and that. And I did say to you earlier, I think you mentioned about um, me being privileged, and I felt uh, in those days when when I was able to come up through the ranks pretty quickly because yeah. I was probably very brash. You know, I've got to say that, and those who know me well know that I, I never took <laughs> a, da- a backward step. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I was lucky enough to share um, driving rooms with. Some of the fantastic legends of our sport. I mean, as I said, the, yeah. the you know your Graham Langs and Gordon Rothacres and Donny Doves and you know uh, people that Kevin Murray's that people just don't realise Kevin was a huge catch driver in those days. And, yeah. yeah. Um, so you know, I was very privileged to rub shoulders with them. Uh, Barry Alford, Chris's dad, Ronnie Peace, and of course Andrew Peace, Vinnie Knight. Yeah, um, yeah. And it's a bit like your kid playing local football and someone throws you a Guernsey and say, listen, you're you're playing today, you're on the bench, but you can come on, um, and, and, and you're playing an AFL team. And that's how I sort of felt that um, yeah, yeah, when yeah, I got those yeah. opportunities. Um, but uh, they, they were great people. I mean, they were hard as nails on the track. But, I mean, once you're off the track, um, you, you, you would never meet a, a better bunch of people. You know, that's... Uh, that's how how it was in those days. Like, I I was so thrilled to see Bobby Kutchemeyer win yeah, the other day. Yeah. How he had won um, at the showgrounds and Mooney Valley and Belton, and I and he was saying about people not being around, and that's very true. I was privileged to drive a few races at the showgrounds and missed out one night. Um, I ran third, but only from a handful. And then I was lucky enough to win some at the Valley and. I only had a handful of drives here thinking that I was getting a bit old because some of the legends used to retire at 65. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't done much driving in recent times. But um, uh, those showground days were um, something special. I even have had the privilege of hearing you talk to or, or hearing some of the, those fellows on the radio at times. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. John McLean's um, and people, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, when you look at the, the the number of drivers that were around or trainers that were around, like um, you know, legends Tubby Peace and Sid McLean and Graham Lang, and you know, the list goes on. It was just Gordon Ruthacker and um, it, 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 Gordon Ruthacker was a fantastic gentleman. I um, I can remember driving with him on some of the grass races at uh, the Valley. They were fabulous. But I have a, a very quick story about him. One day I was yeah. at Cranbourne on a, on a mare and. I was pulling on the fence dramatically, and, and he was on my outside, and, and I'd asked him for a bit of a room so I could get the run, or you know, etc. And long story short, this hard pulling thing just spat the dummy, and uh, I still didn't end up beating Gordon home that day. But it taught me a lesson as a, a very young um, driver that all the, all those that pull don't necessarily finish the race off, and some can run yeah. off a bit for a long time. <laughs> so yeah. I reckon Gordon would have had a chuckle that day, you know. Yeah, no doubt. Now, let's get into Victory's Phil, right? So, initially, he was owned at two and three and for part four-year-old by Phil Devereaux, and he was a good two and three-year-old. He, he won two as a two-year-old from two starts and came back as a three-year-old, won six races, including dead-eating one at Mooney Valley, and then 
as a four-year-old, he ran fifth in a four-year-old size final at 66 to one. And he won a heat of what's called, was called the Coca-Cola Cup back then at Ararat. And he was owned by Phil Devereaux and he won the final, a $20,000 final. And he was owned by a Danny and Anna Mullen. Well, Look, I did say to you before about um, a funny story how Gavin was even yeah. involved in this in some ways. But yeah, as I said earlier, I wasn't frightened of going and buying a horse and if I thought he was the right money. And I'd bought uh, Seek and Hanover and Olympic Chance and Parlour Royal. who had all been good Mooney Valley winners and hadn't hadn't paid very much money for them. So I was pretty blessed. Um, and this horse came up for sale and... I was, I was a bit curious about him, but he was a pretty hefty price tag. You've got to be thinking, this is 1989, mind you. And yeah, yeah. Um, the asking price on the horse was $45,000. Yeah. And and I thought, Jesus, forty five. <laughs> and I liked the look of the horse because, um, he, as you said, he either didn't start or very started as a very late two-year-old in July or something and then won about five straight of his first ever five starts. But... Merv said to me, uh, Merv White, that he, they nearly didn't go on with him as a two-year-old early because he just wasn't showing enough. Um, yeah. But he did blossom. And when I looked at the horse, I asked about him, and I happened to ask Gavin about him. I said, what, you know, what do you think with this horse? And Gavin had won good races for me on Parlour Royal on that. And he said, oh, he's a nice horse, but you know, not sure about his tough. I haven't seen enough, you know, not tough. So I, I thought, you know, the best thing I can do is go up and see this horse at Ararat, which was the heat of the Coca-Cola Cup. So I quickly got up there and nerve drove him, and he just ambled out of the gate and like may have had a bad draw, and he was last, sitting in the running line, and just mid-race, he just really just popped him around and just sat outside him. And then when they got sort of the straight, he just lifted his hands, and he just walked away and won easily. And I thought to myself, shit, I've got a pretty tough horse at home, and if he'd just done that, I'd be... I'd be pretty impressed. Now, the mile rate was only 24.4 after the 2100 mobile, but yeah. it was the way he did it that impressed me immensely. So I, it was good enough for me, and I just went back and said, look, I'll have the vet there in the morning. Um, and uh, you're right, we um, we took him next week, and we won the, uh, the Coca-Cola Cup, which was a $20,000 race in 1989. Um, so... Um, Hence, uh, we got a fair bit of our money back within seven days. Um, and that set a journey off on 1989 that was just, a, well, it was a remarkable journey. Uh, yeah. In 1989, he, he won, um, like, I think he won the Coca-Cola Cup, which was our first um, ever race. But then he, he won a free-for-all straight after that. Um, and then he won the, the Fosters, uh, one at Mooney Valley, one at Kentucky States at Mooney Valley. He won a Fitzroy football Club Stakes, which is a tremendous trophy. Anyone who follows Fitzroy would yeah. know uh, the late John Kane was a follower of him, and, and the prize or the trophy was a, a beautiful pair of bronze football boots belonging to Mickey Conlon on a marble plate. So really? I've still got those there today. Yeah, and wow. a lovely photo. So uh, I reckon they might end up in the Fitzroy Football Club um, yeah, well, um, uh, area one day. Museum yeah, be, or something, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, because there's not many trophies of that ilk, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, and then we did take him to Queensland, and he was very unlucky at Albion Park. I, I, I've got a feeling that we, we we got butchered early, and I think we ended up sitting on Thorite, um, and then they attacked him, and I think he stopped, and... We went over the line pretty steep, so it was um, uh, it, it was a trip there. 
And then in the same year, this is all 1989, by the way. Those yeah, wins. Then yeah, we yeah. won the Melton Plate, which was the inaugural Melton Plate in 1989. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that made me famous in the district because that was the first ever. It was a huge thing. Um, and then we won the Hunter Cup the next month. Uh, Hunter, Hunter Memorial, sorry. Uh, Hunter Plate. So I think the 45,000 that we were having you know, heartburn about in the early uh, parts um, was uh, well and truly put behind us in the first 12 months. So it was um, a great um, a great run, you know, that we had with them there in that first year. Yeah. Uh, it equates, I, I put it into the inflation calculator, it's effectively $115,000 in today's money, 45000 in 88. So to put, it in pers- <laughs> to put it in perspective to people, you went out and bought yeah. a horse for $115,000. It was a big investment and he yeah. did it. He raced at the top level. You went you went to two Inter Dominions, one in South Australia, and actually the horse became a bit of a consolation specialist in many regards. He ran second in the consolation of the Inter Dominion. He he later in his life he won a Victoria Cup consolation in nineteen ninety one. He uh yeah. he won a number of other consolations across the journey. He won two Mildura Cup consolations. Uh yeah, he won well, a what... Yarry Glen Cup consolation. He was just he was just the best well, of the rest sometimes, wasn't he? I think, look, I think you've summed it up really well. Probably his stellar year was around about 89, 90. Yeah. Um, as a four and five-year-old. And he was probably stiff to um, to go to Adelaide and, and have a, a little bit of a setback. Um, and in the end, we had to uh, take him to the beach and, and try to get his legs right and everything and uh, move to his credit, was down there, and we tried everything, um, but we just couldn't get him quite right. So we ended up in the consolation. But um, to, you know, to give you an idea, like the consolation was really difficult race, and uh, yeah, I think yeah. we got neck by a half neck or something by Reba Lord, one of Barry Purden's great horses, and yeah. and in the race we beat home horses like quite famous Rolly Ellie, Rufus Youngblood, another Bart. So like it was a who's who. Um, and we were just stiff that we didn't uh, we didn't get there. But um, I think those were his stellar years, and that was his, probably his year where he had the chance. When he went to New Zealand for the Inter later, he didn't travel well, just had a whole bad campaign. It was sort of one of those that you'd rather forget. Yeah. Um, but as you said, I, I, I'm not one of those to die wondering, and I would have taken him, which I did. We went to Queensland with him. And I think we had a brilliant... Uh, combination because Merv White should be credited with being so patient as an early horse. Yeah. And Merv was very patient and, and conservative with him when I got hold of him. Um, and I said to Merv, well, look, the horse is going so well, I'm going to leave him with you. I mean, there's no point in me taking him home, but I'd like to have Tommy Marr drive him because Merv did a fair bit and Tommy did occasional. And I think the um, the conservatism of uh, Merv, um, the the brash style of driving that Tommy had and me being cheeky and plucky enough to say, listen, this horse has got to go onto the big stage. You know, we, we're not being, we won't be going country anymore. We'll be, we'll be going to the big dance. And, and I, I think that worked for that first year or two. And um, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a really, really great journey. Yeah. It was, he raced at the top line and then it was almost like he was reincarnated. You took over the training in 1991 and, then he went on a journey with your daughter, Samantha, and you training, she drove him and she won those two Mildura Cup consolations, which in the modern day are probably as good as many country cups these days. 
Oh, one oh, of one of yeah, yeah, one of Wanger at a cup, uh, an Oyen Cup, uh, uh, beating Al Brenray, you know, in an Oyen Cup to see two like Grand Circuit level horses in an Oyen Cup is unheard of. And Samantha yeah. probably in many ways was a bit of a, a forerunner in this area, coming through with with people like Karen Manning. Well, look, actually, what had happened is that, as I said, we, we were happy to leave the horse with Murr for a long time, which we did. Um, and then he had a bit of a flat spot, which I often see some good horses have. They, they have a campaign that just doesn't go right. But at that stage, we felt it was right to take him home. And he was never a standing start horse. He would have won some great features when Merv had him, but even Tommy couldn't get him to go away from the stands. But yeah, yeah. somehow or the other, Samantha did click with him, and we were able to get him away. And, and as you said, that result of us in winning um, a number of um, feature races, country cups, etc. And, and you're right, Samantha was the first lady driver ever to win a Wang Cup or an Oyen Cup. And in those cups, like I, I met a boy who was in the Wangaratta Cup, you know, like one of yeah, the yeah, yeah. horses going around. So, uh, and DBAs, one of the Pace families, the best horse they've probably ever had. So you're right, the calibre of horses that did get around country cups and into minions, or straight, we used to have the Australian Pacing Championship where you'd go into state um, uh, and run heats. You know, they had that many, you could have heats and then qualify for a final. I remember Graham and I went away with Parlour Royal to one in Adelaide. So uh, standing start races were, were that way. And um, Samantha had a, you know, you're right, we had a new life, I think. And the horse went on to race till he was 11. And the yeah. reason he did, because he never, he never wanted to stop. We, we'd go out and we'd have him in the paddock and he'd want to just come up and want to race. And I think his last race that he won, he went a 158-mile race for the middle distance up at um, Bendigo. Um, mm. And then he, he sort of battled away for uh, the next six or nine months. And it was pretty obvious that even our passion and his passion wasn't going to work. So we pulled the pin on him. And um, uh, he ended up being that type of horse he was up at the fence and the gate every day and samantha started to ride him and um, the first time uh, within a very short period of time she she said to me dad this horse is so good i think we'll just go to the shows and she took him to the uh, standard bread shows and the open shows and uh, he took uh, took to it like a duck to water um and i i I did hear you where you said you were trying to wonder what the high point award was but yeah yeah what it was is in standard bread, um, there's a number of shows for the standard bread horses around the state each time or each each year. And Phil, um, and you get points for winning at the various shows, uh, an aggregate. Yeah. And he, he topped the list on, I think, five out of five years or something. He was just an outstanding horse. Um, and, um, yeah, he, he just did that. And he went into the open ring um, and uh, he showed them how to do it in, in some of those events as well. So... Uh, Samantha, that, that's, he retired at 11 and he was a, a show horse through his late teens and then he had a, a life um, where he was up here in the paddock and he passed away at 33 so he had a great wow. and he's, he's actually buried on the back of our property down here so uh, uh, he had a very, very good innings um, but he was uh, certainly a, a very high profile horse, um, a very aggressive front-running animal in many occasions and uh, he held a record for a mile and a half here, I think, at one stage in Australia. I think it was about a 158-1. It doesn't, doesn't probably sound superb, but 158-1-2400-1989 was a pretty good clip <laughs> in, a, um, in those days. So he was a, he was a very, very um, 
high profile and very much uh, loved horse, um, as I said. And, and he he basically did, um, as I said, get this reputation on the track, in the show ring, and he gave many, many people in my family. Um, my wife and I, um, like, you've got to give her credit because you're right, when, when I asked her, say, look, we're going to buy him, um, she never hesitated. So uh, was a lot of money. Uh, she's been right behind me in buying some of these horses and uh, enjoyed a lot of the thrills. Some of the some of the, the place bookies at uh, Mooney Valley would have remembered Anna very well when we had horses like Kim Usabi going around there and um, she would walk up and uh, being a, a very lovely young lady in those days would get the extra point or when they would want <laughs> to turn the board down they were too embarrassed to turn it down so that it led her on for a place, and I think he ran about nine places. Um, so, yeah, we, we've been, you know, we've been prepared to back our judgment, and uh, as I said, pick up horses like Victory's Phil, Parlour Royal, Second Hanover, Olympic Chance, Kim Rusabi, um, and um, uh, yeah, it, it, sometimes uh, you don't come out as good, but fortunately for us, we've seemed to have had a, a pretty good run. We even bought horses out of Tasmania. <laughs> so I know you know, we 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 bought Metropolitan winners out of there for modest money. Uh, Mr. Butler won several with Samantha, um, um, Art Ridge, uh, and that. So we're not backward at, at backing our judgment. And uh, I've I bought quite a few. We're going to get eight twelve thousand dollar horses out of New Zealand. I'm going to get to a break and uh, get to some news, Danny. Thanks for coming on and. Uh, you've been a great part of harness racing. We never got to your role at Melton Harness Club or with the VTDA, and uh, you've, <laughs> you've bred you've bred on really well too with Samantha and Cat. And it certainly wasn't your fault who they chose to marry either, mate. So I don't hold that against you. Uh, Pat, I had to give Pat a clip some stage, but yeah, thanks for coming on, and uh, we'll pick it up again sometime. We'll have to get you back, and we'll talk about a few other things. Oh, there's, there's probably plenty. As I've got to tell you about my world champion uh, and Australian, eight-time Australian champion, sons in motorsport. So <laughs> I, plenty you, to talk about. Too right. Good on you, Danny. Thanks, mate, for coming on. Take care, matey. Bye-bye. There's Danny Mullen, uh, legend of the sport. He's 76. And those that know Danny will be surprised to think that he is 76. He's as active and as lively as he ever has been.